breakfast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Unto the Fitness Podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest on the podcast. I have another uh, other than Pete Rubish. Um, if any of you guys are familiar with the powerlifting, he's kind of like the Brett Favre of, of powerlifting. Um, one one of the OG guys, uh, along with with, with Dan Green, uh, Kelly Branson, um, uh, Stacy Burr, like one of the first people to really make rock powerlifting, I think, popular. Um, and uh, just super, super blessed to have him on. So, um, Pete, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Just uh, we had like a mock meet type thing in our gym with the uh, University of Tennessee powerlifting team. So it's been a busy day, but you know that's just that's the lifestyle right now. I'm always staying busy with training people and online coaching, all that kind of stuff. So keeps me really busy. Let's let's go into that then. Um, so are you are you actually coaching the University of Tennessee powerlifting team? No, so we just kind of have an affiliation with them where they show up, you know, on occasion and they were doing like their first kind of mock meet today that they've ever put on. But I, I just coach all sorts of guys all over. Been doing that for about 10 years now. So do that personal training clients. Uh, we do group classes at our gym because I own a small gym with my wife. And it's just it's always busy getting here at 5 a.m. on weekdays and stay until 730, 8 o'clock at, at night. So. Yeah, so so you then so you basically full time right right now you're a gym gym owner and training few people. Yeah, it's it's very time consuming and then you know having like a nine month old, but yeah, um, I still get my lifting in you know four or five days a week. Still love that. Just I'm not spending like three hour sessions in the gym like I used to. Now it's like you know hour and a half type, much mm -hmm. quicker sessions, which you just have to be as efficient as possible with that kind of schedule. So. For sure. So, you know, in, in regards to like, you know, owning a gym, um, you know, what kind of motivates you to sort of start your, your own one? Well, it's kind of crazy because to be honest, I never wanted to do it. Like it was kind of my wife's thing. She worked, you know, she's worked in gyms for 15, 20 years and uh, she's always wanted to do it. It's always been her dream. So I kind of went along with it and we've, we've got a pretty good thing going here, but there's a lot that goes into it. So they're just, they're not as, uh, they're not profitable like people would think. Like, there's not money to be made in a gym. You kind of keep it going and it's like a labor of love, but the, the actual income from it is, is pretty much nil. So you really have to like it. You really have to enjoy it. And, you know, there's a lot of perks about it. Like, there's a community aspect. I have my guys, my powerlifting, you know, fellow powerlifters who I train with. And we'll have certain days where we have like a squat, you know, squat day or whatever. But uh, it's a lot of work, yeah. Yeah, and, and I most of the what I've been with is that most of the income from gyms is from the personal training and the clients that you have out there. Because I know that uh, at my gym, for example, um, I actually talked to the owners about it, and like they made it specifically for trainers. You know, you, to, you know, just to really have a good spot to train out of, and so they could actually have some sort of income from it. Yeah, really, the the training and the group classes are what kind of uh, pay pay the rent more or less. So your your general memberships don't uh, don't add a lot to it, but obviously that's a part of the gym as well. For the most part, everyone who's here is either doing like online coaching or personal training or group classes. So the majority of them are doing that, and that's kind of what funds the place. But it's a real small gym, like thirty six hundred square feet. Just the basics, you know. We have a cable set up, uh, dumbbells up to a hundreds free weights, platforms, that's that kind of thing, but not really any fancy machines or anything like that. So good news is that for powerlifting, you don't need to be much to get strong. So um, no, you can kind of stick to the basics. For, 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 for sure. 
So kind of diving a little bit into like your athletic your athletic background before powerlifting. Um, did you play sports at all before you started powerlifting? Yeah, it was uh, in high school. I was playing football, basketball, and track. I was running track, and my my favorite, honestly, was basketball. That was the one I was best at. Um, but come my senior year, right beforehand, I dropped out of everything to just continue lifting because that was really the part I enjoyed most, the weight training aspect of sports. So I was, you know, I was getting pretty strong, and I, I thought I had a knack for this. So I, I dropped out of all of them and, and solely focused on powerlifting. And that really, uh, I guess it ended up being a pretty good path. But, you know, football was football was enjoyable. It was tough. And track I was never really good at. So it's just, uh, that's really where it came from. I, I played like one year of football my junior year. did pretty well. But then I just was, I just wanted to lift. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, I talked to a lot of PPP owners that they're like, oh, I like, I like playing sports, but the lifting part of it was like a lot more fun for, for, for me. Um, like what drew you specifically to like powerlifting though, because you could have gone like several different routes, you know, because you know, with, with, with football, like strength and conditioning, there's like Olympic lifts, uh, not just like power lifts. And there's also like, you know, you also build, build some muscles. So there's some body in there. So like what drew you to, to strength sport and in particular powerlifting? Yeah, I think like deadlift in particular, I really enjoyed, obviously. So going heavy on that. And the whole idea with powerlifting was lifting as heavy as possible. Whereas uh, with bodybuilding, it was always about how you looked. And I didn't really care how I looked. That was never a motivation as far as trying to get, you know, super aesthetic or jacked or whatever. That never motivated me. It was just about putting more weight on the bar and getting gradually stronger. Um, because it's like a self-improvement thing. You can you know, consistently see more weight on the bar, you know, you're making progress. And it's, uh, it's a lot more measurable than just looking in the mirror at how your physique is coming along. So and then it wasn't as complicated as like Olympic lifting, because with Olympic lifting, you need to have platforms where you can drop the bar. Um, you need a lot of bumper plates and things like that. And they're much more technical. So I almost like the more pure aggression focused aspect of powerlifting, which is kind of what uh, what led me that way. And having a chip on my shoulder as far as kind of being an outcast, um, loner type in high school where I just really hung out by myself, did my own thing, went to school, got pretty good grades. But, you know, I'd go home and lift. I didn't party. I didn't do anything like that. So I just was drawn to this sport that kind of let me have an outlet and uh, let me kind of get that aggression out and that pent up frustration more or less. So... So would you say a lot of your, your motivation was sort of like proving other uh, others wrong or like what was your, your motivation? Like, like the thing that really stands out to me and a lot of people who I've talked to about about you and just in general is like you can tell when somebody's very passionate about about what they do um, because there's just something different about how they act about the about that, um, how they think um, their obsession with, with, with them improving um, that if that makes sense. Yeah, it's I, I mean, I feel like that has has been a thing my whole life where it's uh, I do my best when I feel like I'm going to prove somebody wrong or when I have to. And it's not even necessarily anyone in particular. It's just more or less that attitude, that chip on your shoulder attitude, that mentality. And uh, anytime I channel that, it tends to bring out the best in me where I feel counted out. And I think a lot of people can relate to that because we all have hardships we go through. We all have our own struggles in life. And that just tends to uh to bring out the best in a lot of us 
Yeah, like for for my for myself, I, I came into powerlifting after like being like terribly terribly anorexic, and I was like, I knew I had to like do something to like get get better, and you know, I was like, well, I want to gain weight, but I want it to be like good 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 weight. So I just started started lifting a little bit, and then I realized I was really strong, and they became like an RPG for me. It's like, oh my gosh, like I want to like level up every single day and in the gym, and kind of like like you it was like. I think everybody is, is interested in, in aesthetics, but for but for me, it's like powerlifting is so much more fun because, like what you said, it's so much it's so hard, really hard to judge muscle growth, especially like past the new stage. <laughs> you're just like, uh, hopefully, I think something's going on with the strength. It's like, okay, I am getting stronger, or I am not getting stronger, especially if you're good at it. Um, it becomes a lot of fun. Like I know that Ronnie Coleman says, like, it's just like anybody can look good, but like you don't all know everybody has a gift of strength, and you're one of those people who was freaky, like absolutely freaky yeah i mean I, how why why did you get into powerlifting like what was the main thing for you for me it was literally just i so i thought about this about this a lot i i had really struggled with self-confidence and that was what a lot of my anorexia stemmed some from and i felt like i wasn't really worthy of, of love i didn't love myself and powerlifting taught me that I am capable of really anything I set my mind to. Um, it taught me that, like, that there's more to life than just, like, trying to, like, be, like, thin or whatever. Like, like it gave me also, like, a sense of control. It was, like, I, if I control these variables, I'm going to get stronger. I, like, that's what it was for, for me and, like, what keeps me going right, right now. It was just, like, it's, like, I love, like, I like I love my, my, myself now. And that's finally, like, something that powerlifting has, has given me um like i i, I tore apart like a lot of my relationships because of my eating disorder and you know getting stronger and improving my mental health through that like that just gave me like, my life back in general like completely like i went from like 135 to like 191 in like six years so you've been so, lifting for about six years and i know your deadlift isn't it in the 600 range about uh, 705 that? i did lift 705 and well, 705 so. wow and would you hit 705 uh, Wednesday, um, I could have hit like seven twenty, like seven twenty-two on that day. Like it was out of nowhere. Like I strained my my I strained my lat back in uh, June after I pulled seven hundred at my meet. I was on a hot streak, but I just was pushing too hard, and then I just I I had the feeling there. It wasn't like at all of a sudden, like out of nowhere. Like it was it was coming along, but like I was really stubborn. I was dehydrated. Um, I did five seventy-three four six on that last rep. I tore my lat. I felt it rip. Um, but yeah, like I remember, like, you know, I, I never, if you were to tell Adam six years ago, one one thirty five, hospitalized, having to be on, on Anavar because, you know, muscle wasting and all that issue, like you would be, you would be doing that. Like, you know, six years ago, like it doesn't get any better than any better than that. So you just hit the 722 PR on Wednesday, 705. Okay. What what are your best numbers on all the lifts then? Well, I might my meet in um November. I hit five twenty-three on squat and I got three forty-seven okay. on bench and then I got six eighty-three on deadlift. Um, but I've gotten way stronger since then. I like my I got forty-four for forty-five for eight for four at RPE eight on squat. Um I got three seventy-five on bench, and then I just pulled seven oh five. So like it's been a pretty massive um i i was really sick too before my meet so that that, that impacted things but um so like when you were six years ago you were you it was anorexia 
Yeah, yeah. And and they put you on. They was like prescription. They put you on Anavar and all that. And mm-hmm. uh, how long were you dealing with that? Um, man, like it was for like good five years. Um, wow. like like off and on, but I was I was actually on it until I was like actually like hospitalized and and whatnot. So, um, and then I was was prescribed that, and then uh, started gaining some weight, and then you know I was I was healthy enough to where the doctors like, hey, we're going to take you off of this. Um, so like that was like I got to like about like 150 pounds and was like eating more, and um, I it was really like when I got into college, for example, like that I was like okay, like I can't do this anymore the high school I could kind of get by um but like in college I was like there's no way like I can't I can't do this like so I kind of made, made, made the choice on my own to do that you talk were you eating like one meal a day or not even it was like so it would, at the peak of it, it would basically be my I would wake up in the morning um my parents would weigh me um and I knew I was really really light and so I would literally chug like a gallon of water in, in the morning within the span of like 10 minutes so that I wouldn't get yelled at and I would feel like really sick and I wouldn't want, want to like eat. And basically I would just be sitting down at breakfast with my family, just like picking at my food. And then my parents would get annoyed and just be like, go to school. And then I would basically um, skip lunch. I would be in the car with my windows rolled up like in 80 degree heat in Utah because I was cold. Um, and then I would basically eat whatever my parents made me eat for dinner and I would go to, go to bed. But then I would have like one gigantic, like 10,000 to 15,000 calorie binge fest on saturdays i just was so hungry so it was was a pretty toxic thing and then i found powerlifting and hired a coach and um i haven't done that since i haven't done done that since like i'm a completely different 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 person so it's definitely been a a big life changer for me that's why i'm passionate about like coaching and doing this so how old are you now uh 25 okay that's that's a wild story. That's crazy, and I'm just curious more for because I, I, it's honestly, Anavar was my favorite. But what was the dose they would give you? Uh, ten milligrams. Okay, so that's was, very low. That's very low. low. Yeah, like, that, I, I, I know that most of the time, like uh, twenty five to fifty is like I think that John Hat is like fifty milligrams a day. Like when he's when he's on. Yeah, I mean, if I were to take steroids again, I would do uh, fifty milligrams Anavar when I was, you know. You could run it for upwards of 12 weeks because it's really not liver toxic. So I uh, I love Danavar. Great stuff. It really no side effects. Um, Did you ever get like any GI issues on it? Like digest, like digestion? No, I just felt awesome. I felt strong as an ox on it. It was great. But it, that was, again, 50 milligrams uh, and no sides, really. The only sides would show up on, on blood work with HDL would be. Yeah down a little and uh that'd be about it though i felt freaking awesome my liver enzymes weren't even touched on it um just it was by far my favorite so so like like i i had a medical reason i, I had a medical reason i'd start um taking pds um what motivated you to sort of like you know because i i don't you know, i take it you you start off natural like everybody else did and there's probably a point where you're like oh crap like you know maybe this is what i want 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 to do what was that motivation well, I mean, like Chris Hickson at the time, you know, rest in peace. He uh, he was around my same age, and he was blowing up. Like his numbers were ridiculous. He went from he had seven hundred deadlift real fast, which was where I was at at the time, and then he just blew up on his way to eight hundred pound deadlift. 
And we were around the same age, like I said. So it was like a jealousy thing where I'm like, well, shoot, I want to get on that stuff and do the same thing. Or I want to, you know, it was a competition. And really, that's what motivated me to start is I just wanted to, uh, I saw this guy blowing up and getting attention. And I was like, I want to do that, you know, um, because I knew I could. I knew I had the capability. So more or less seeing him because there weren't there weren't many social media people out there. And uh, just having that peer pressure to almost, then lack of patience. It was a lack of patience where it was just, you know, probably not the right call. And I wish I had done things differently, but it was what I viewed as the quickest way to become a monster, more or less, uh, become huge and become strong and all that. So I just dove right in at age 20 and I went hard. And that's, that's how the last 10 years went basically. So the last, like, it, go ahead. No, I mean, I, well, I came off obviously uh, 26 months ago. So it's been over two years off everything, but including testosterone, but, uh, before that, it was it was eight years of really pushing it, eight nine years, something like that. So, what did you notice like changed from when you like you were obviously very strong naturally, like a seven hundred pound that did look natty, like especially at that time, it was like holy crap. Like um, nowadays, it's just like uh, yeah, you're, yeah, I know, right? You're you're you're, you're cool, um, <laughs> which is which is fun. But um, like what was like what did like what did you notice and like what did you first take? I mean, I started with testosterone, uh, five hundred milligrams a week. And D-ball, D-ball, 50 milligrams a week. I started with that as well for six weeks with the 500 testosterone. So obviously, like nowadays, given what we know, that's like a way too heavy cycle to start off your first time. But this was 2010, guys. Like I didn't know, no one knew anything. There was just online forums and uh, everybody said first cycle is testosterone and D-ball. That's what every forum said. So I went with that and it was just, you know, it was a lot, but. I blew up, you know, strength blew up, everything blew up. So it was fun. It was uh, rewarding to see all the time, like see that progress. And lifts just kept blowing up. It was, it was awesome. And put body weight on, got bigger, got stronger. Uh, one side effect, though, was obviously there was a lot of uh, cystic acne. So this was stuff that just wasn't well made. It was made in like people's basements. You don't know where it was coming from. You don't know the quality, the conditions in which it was made. So uh, my skin broke out like crazy, and that was something I, I still have scars from, literally, because of the how bad the, the acne was. But I never got, like, gonocomastia or anything like that. So everybody gets, you know, somewhat different side effects, and if you do it smart, I think you can avoid a lot of those, but that just is what happened to me. Yeah, I remember one of your videos, you, uh, you know, excited about taking a ball. It's like, well, you're going to get gyno, hair loss, or acne, and that's, you know, what I've seen pretty true across the board. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think if you did it better and you had like higher quality stuff, you know, you could be okay. But I just, this was like, you know, compared to how it is now, this was a completely different time where it was very secretive. You just got what you could. It wasn't good quality. That's how it was. So, yeah. So, like, in regards to like your, like your, your training, like, um, what changed when you went on versus like when you were like, so like, let's like walk, walk through like what was training like be before you were on, like what changed, like what could you get away with when you were enhanced? The training was still pretty much the same. Nothing changed as far as that's concerned. It was just, I progressed so much faster, but the actual training itself, I would, when you're that young, 
you're not going to get injured, really. You know, you're going to stay healthy. So with or without PEDs, I was going to be able to handle a ton of volume. Like, I was pushing crazy amounts of volume compared to nowadays. But it just, the, the rate of progression was obviously way more rapid. I could do one rep maxes way more often because I knew the weights were going to go up. I could attempt crazy sets and just recover faster because I knew the weights were going to go up. So that was the big difference. Yeah, like so something I've noticed is that like more of the enhanced community, it's like you see RP nine plus like a lot more often and then able to actually like recover and adapt um to that. Like um John Hack is a perfect example of that. Like the guy lives at RP nine point five and he just will add ten pounds a week. Um whereas I you know if you if you're natural, it's like um I think natural, I I think that regardless, like I think that's still like I still like overall think that for most people that more sub max volume of like RP eight or less is still better on drugs because you're going to have a better stimulus to fatigue ratio, but like the things that you can get away with and like, let, 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 let's be honest, you'll be all guys that sport to lift heavy, <laughs> heavy RP nine plus stuff. Um, like powerlifters are kind of wired differently. Like well, most people are going to be like the bar is bending. I do not like that. Or powerlifters are like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. This is what, this is what, what, I, what I like, especially like on androgens, like it changes your, your brain chemistry to be like, you really want that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're much more aggressive, and uh, there's a lot more, I don't know, almost drive as far as that's concerned. But I agree that even if you're on PEDs, submaximal training in that 65 to 85% range is where the majority of your training should take place. That's going to be optimal. So I totally agree with that. So from my understanding too, most of the training, I think like, this was before a daily undulating periodization was a, was a thing, correct? Like when you were just starting, it was like mostly just like linear. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't super well-known things, you know, there's just been so much more information in the last five years, even than before that time frame. So the sports exploded. There's a lot more knowledge as far as training and peds which is why the numbers are going up so much um it was like the you know back in 2010 there just wasn't much knowledge out there there was chad wesley smith launching juggernaut training systems that was kind of the information that you could find but beyond that there was nothing so, so and, and I I really think that's important to say because I think that gives a lot of like more merit to like what you have actually achieved, especially at that at that time because you know we have so much information right now readily available. You know you like I have these you know I have free programs. Most people have free free programs. There's a lot of like really good information out there you can view if you have the time. It's going to take a long time, but if you have the time. You you can't learn about about this stuff online. Whereas for you, it was a lot of just like, well, I'm going to do this and hopefully it works. Um, and you got to a 900 pound deadlift like that, which is insane. Yeah, it was a lot of trial and error because my training used to not be structured at all um, up until the last couple of years. But everything before that was just, you know, balls of the wall, heavy all the time and trial and error. But so, so was it like mostly like, wasn't a lot, like, was it like a lot of singles then? Or like, was it just like, oh, I know this feels bad today or like, I'm just going to do like, you know, top set of three instead of a single order. Like a, yeah, like a it was just very intuitive tr training in the sense where I was like, okay, I feel on today, so I'm going to do something crazy. Um, whether that, you know, crazy set was going to be, you know, a, a 25 rep squad of 405 or if, if it was going to be a heavy single of, 
880 or whatever. It was going to just, it just depended. Like I just would go for something, you know, I would kind of have decided going in like, okay, I'm going to deadlift today. I'm going to squat, whatever. But squat and deadlift, it would just be something crazy. And bench, I couldn't do as much of that because I wasn't obviously as strong on the bench. Um, but and now I look back and I'm like, if I would have trained more sub max, like we just talked about and held back. And if I didn't go heavy all the time, I would have made even way more progress. The training was stupid. So it was like I, I progressed in spite of the mistakes. But had I had a structured plan where I'm doing sub max training for weeks and staying away from high intensity ranges, I would have made even more progress, which is kind of funny to think about. But it is what it is. You know, you live and learn. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's a really well like it, it, it I you know I have mixed feelings about that because I remember like when I was when I was first started training like I was adapting so fast like I was I would literally come in I had a program where I basically would do like a five rep max or a three rep max or a one rep max and we would just change like week to week and I could still like recover from it um and one thing I do think that I did actually learn from that is something something I have seen really be underdeveloped I know Mike Tashir's also talked about this and I've talked I've interviewed him about, about this too. Like I can grind through anything. Like, you know, if it feels really heavy, well, I know how to grind because I had so much practice with that. Whereas like, you know, now it's like, you know, I, I, I still have that, that, that skill. Um, but like with a lot of my clients that I have noticed, like with my BUP and, you know, more some max training style, sometimes my lifters really struggle once the weights get heavier, like past RPE E9. Um, so like, I, I feel like having like some sort of like, like exposure to that is important, but like from a long-term progress standpoint, it's definitely better to stay more submaximal. But when you're a beginner, it's like, and you're on PED, it's kind of like, you know, there's such a wide range of what works for you. And so I'm certain that if you're enjoying, like, you know, you clearly love your training, you know, like you love getting after it, you love going after it. And so like, to some extent, it's just like your progress could have been, been better, but you think you would have been like the same, like Pete Rubish, like the same, like intensity or is the same guy on the, on the platform if that wasn't how you train? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Because I think that was one of the things that obviously I was like known for was these crazy sets and the intensity and such. And so that was probably, you know, that was part of it. But I think my total could have been higher. But then I don't know if there would have been the same degree of like notoriety. So it's a, it's a catch-22 because it's like, yeah, I, I probably could have ended up with a much higher total. But there might have not have been the same um aura around those days so it's just it is it's it's a really good point right there with it might not have made me who i am today if i trained differently um yeah it's it's interesting to reflect back on now like in your case like what what is the main thing that propelled your deadlift to the 705 would you say i i think for for me it was when i'm like number one like working with with a better coach um who was I have only been like my when I first started training, it was a lot of mostly just bodybuilding with like some powerlifting stuff thrown in there, you know, heavy top set, like an analyst why I could go are, you know, so heavy all the time. I was doing like one or two sets um that were heavy. Um, but like I think like more volume with that, more structure in terms of learning how to train with RPE and auto-regulate, um, you know, less pushing my myself and then um I think getting my squat up helped a ton too because my squat was always really lagging. Um, like my my first meet, I deadlifted seven, I deadlifted six fifty, and I only squatted four twenty four, um, wow. which is a crazy mismatch. Um, and like I was, I've always been very back dominant, but 
I think for me, it was just learning how to have better te te technique, honestly. I think that was number one thing because I would, especially on the Kabuki, which is like, I don't like the bar. Um, like you, the difference between the Texas bar and the Kabuki is so much different in like how you have to pull. Like with the Texas bar, I could I could really get away with my my Kyler Woolen, grip the bar, slam myself in, in, into it, be really, really explosive, which I still think is is, is good for lifters to um do on their delta. I know that you you've talked about that too in, in your, your videos. Um, but with like like the kabuki and like really learning that, like once that was implemented last year, um I think just understanding how to pull slack slash push slack out of the, of the bar and really like relax my arms. Um and then Recently, my recent sort of progress has been just train, changing around my training week, week layout because I used to basically have my volume squats on Monday, then I do my heavy deadlift on Tuesday, and then I would have my squat and deadlift session on Friday, and I, and I was kind of like, I was making some progress with that, but then I talked to my coach about it. I was like, hey, how about we move this primary deadlift to Wednesday, and then my secondary bowls, which are always conventional, um, to Friday, and I've had so much higher output there, and my technique is better. And I've had to do that with a lot with some of my lifters too, who I have found their deadlift starts to struggle a lot, especially their squats going up up a lot. And there tends to be like a lot of crosstalk between that. So like I know there's a lot of talk about training, um, you know, deadlift after squat and whatever. But like I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that like whatever makes gets you strongest, you know, you can see the most training yeah. effect on that lift. Like that's what matters anyways. Like and plus like on a, a meet day, like you're having recovery issues, like between like a squat and a deadlift, like even if you went like really, really heavy, like I, 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 I understand that that's a factor, but it's like, you should be more in shape in my opinion. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I've never touched the Kabuki bar either. So that's, that's interesting. You have to be a lot more patient with it, but like, it's like, like, like when it, when it rewards you, it rewards you a lot. Like I did was doing, I was doing my, my warmups to, to my 705 and 650 moved from slower than 705 in all honesty, because of like, I just, it bends so much more. And when you time that whip right and you really just know how to do it, it's just like, especially with that, with like the whip gets crazy and you can really, really ride it up to lockout. And the hardest part really just comes, becomes that last part of hip extension um, to get to the bar. So doing like weighted back extensions, which Pete Rubish is famous for, and RDLs is just super important. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm still undecided if I want to try one, but. um, I think it's a lot of fun, Um, like for, for like singles. It gets tougher for, for rep work, but um, I mean, I personally, I've talked to a lot of lifters about it, and like Johnny Coffin was like, and Jamal Browner, like they, they took them like a year to get to figure it out. Like, and they still prefer the oh. Texas deadlift bar. Um, so it's, 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 I, I have it. Yeah. Like, like, what do you think about all the specialty bars and like, you know, squat bars and the deadlift bars? I mean, if I would rather have it to where everybody's just using the same bar for all three lifts. So I, I like the USAPL IPF model where it's, you have a standard seven foot bar and that's what you use for squat. That's what you use for bench. And that's what you use for deadlift. So that would be what I'd be in favor of. Um, which is kind of why I just train on on the same bar. I have an Ohio Power Bar that I use for for all three lifts because I just I'm trying to get used to that model. Because I you know in you've got to be three years drug free to be in the USAPL. Well, my three years is up in November. So, man, that's got to how I, 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 your just your just decision to come off of PDs entirely 
without without testosterone like was that due to like a lot of trauma around like your usage with steroids like because i i personally can't i can't imagine going through that process um and, and seeing yourself like 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 mentally backslide too and not, and not just like physically and your numbers go could go down like i don't think people understand like how hard that is especially when your identity is like, oh, i think it probably was really around like i'm pete rubish i love 900 pounds i have these big traps you know everybody knows me for like you know these, these crazy cycles and crazy lifts like there probably would be like a lot of like rede re redefining like your identity in that process yeah i mean i think you nailed it spot on it's almost like you become a different person because that's what everybody knows you for they they know you for that distinctive look they know you for those antics they know you for the numbers you're putting up and all that gets eliminated you lose you know my strength dipped for a year straight after i came off like it just kept going down for a full year and really it took about a year and a half to where things maybe started bouncing back slightly and still the numbers are, are much lower than they were but at least I can progress at this point. And it's just, it's been tough. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting journey and I feel fine now. Like I feel healthy. I feel good. But uh, you kind I kind of had to give up like who I was to almost morph into somebody else. And, you know, the amount of attention I get nowadays is a fraction of what it was back then. So, you know, there's a lot of consequences as far as doing that because I lost a lot of um, what I was known for. And a lot of people, don't care anymore or they've kind of the no you know the attention's fallen off tremendously so it, it's sometimes tough to deal with but it's all part of the game and i'm still training and i'm still trying to climb back and i want to get as strong as i can uh without anything drug free so that's kind of the new phase i'm in just to be healthier and try to get as strong as i can drug free and i'm still doing the training and all that and gonna compete but it's it's a hundred percent different everything's different now so do you think that's like one of the biggest reasons like why you kind of went more into like the YouTube side of things and the coaching side of things because like more of your efforts are like you're trying to like, like sort of like redefine yourself in a certain sense of like being like more of like an educator is that like you've been killing it on YouTube and like social media like um like your your subscribers have been, have been going up, up a lot and so like I know that you said you know you don't get as much as much attention now I, I think it's probably not for the same things like you might have want them to but I think people that like like I personally get a ton of value from like the videos that you put out. Like I watch every single one. Um, and like, I don't know, like this is partially me saying like, we like people like me and people that are actually like in this and understand it. Like we still care about Pete Rubish and you're like, I think you're doing a lot of good stuff right, right now with, 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 the, with the community and spreading awareness and paying it forward. It's like Ed Cohen talk about this in like a table talk episode with Pete. It's like people don't care if you deadlift 900 pounds if you're a dick <laughs> and you're, and you've, and you've paid so much forward and back. I think that's why like people are still paying attention to you on that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that is a big part of it. And um, even if the audience is smaller now, I try to educate, try to help people out, try to talk to people, you know, even more than I did in the past. Cause sometimes it gets impossible to keep up with, all the messages and stuff on top of all the emails I'm doing, but I've been trying to do more of that, but it, it's kind of crazy because like you'll see from where things were five years ago or whatever. And you put up an Instagram video back then it would get a hundred thousand views <laughs> and now I'll put one up and it'll be like 15,000 or like YouTube, you know, 
you know, you'll get a couple thousand, but he, the attention overall is just a fraction of what it used to be. And and I'm, I've accepted it. It's, it is what it is. You know, you're, you're only, I've said this before, like your 15 minutes of fame only lasts so long. So every top lifter is going to go through that. I think Kaylor Woolham is going through that right now where he's not as strong as he once was. He's had the injuries. We've talked about this and, uh, you know, he's not the, the, the top lifter right now. And I think Jamal is going to go through that eventually and John and all these guys, because someone else is going to come along and unseat them as far as the top lifter. And it just, it's a process, but I think it's something everybody struggles with where you have all this attention, you're well-known and then it's kind of stripped away gradually. And it's just, it's, it's, it's been, it's been something I've had to deal with because like, obviously my livelihood depends to a degree on coaching. So I try to stay relevant for that reason. Um, and everybody coaches now, whereas before, like when I started, there was like three guys, it was like George Lehman, myself, Chad Wesley Smith, Josh Bryant. That was like all there was 2013. And now I've been doing this so long. It's like, there's way more competition coaching wise. So you're trying to stay somewhat relevant to keep your literal livelihood going in that way. But it's just, you have to go about it differently. So it was like a huge sacrifice to come off because if I hadn't come off, there'd be way more eyeballs on me and that would help with that. So I don't know. It's just a lot of, a lot of different thoughts about that sort of thing. Yeah. It's definitely a, a, a complicated topic to, I guess, um, you know, it, it's, it, there's a lot, a lot of layers there. Like with, with, with coaching though, you know, it's like I do full time, full time coaching do, and like, it's very difficult to, you know, it's like, Oh, everybody, everybody is coaching. But one thing that, you know, my business, business mentors have said, and like what I've also told myself is like, well, there's a lot of coaches out there, but most of the coaches suck. And I'm not one of those coaches that suck, you know? And so, and people are going to hire you because of you, like people hire, hire coaches, not, not coaching. They, they really, they want to work with, with, with you. And so as long as you're still showing up on social media, doing your, your thing and still sharing your own progress and whatnot, being vulnerable with them and what you've done a great job of, people are going to be probably still interested. Yeah, and that's I think that's a great attitude to have as far as like just be confident in your abilities and what you're doing, and that will speak for itself. Um, so that that's really pretty much the mindset you have to have with so much competition, and the market being so saturated at this point, you have to go on with that approach. Do you think that that you you think, when you go back to your, your powerlifting like you know career, did you? Do you think that that was like you had a lot of like self confidence with like what you could do, and you think that's why like you push things so hard because you knew that if you if you you know took you know all these harsh drugs or whatever, like you were kind of like changing like your thought process of like oh no like I can't do this and like I'm going to make make make, make progress. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say I just want to be you know as good as possible, and and it just it literally was just a way to accelerate the progress on a much greater scale. So I didn't, you know, growing up, I didn't have any self-confidence. My self-confidence only came from the weights because that was the only thing I felt like I was good at. Um, so I wouldn't even say that like steroids gave me confidence, but it just made everything come together so much quicker where it, it sped up the time frame significantly. And obviously like you just can't look like that without steroids you can't look to that that jacked and that that big and it's just not possible 
So that also gave me self-confidence where I was building this almost indestructible character. Uh, and like I was a doorman and stuff and you just want to be as big and intimidating as possible. Um, but steroids didn't necessarily give me that. They just made things uh, up a whole nother level. But lifting gave me that. And I, I, I think that's a really amazing thing that you, you, you just said is that certainly give me, give me, give me, give me that confidence. It was lifting weights. And I think that like, that's really ultimately like why we do all this stuff. Like lifting is like people that, that know it. It's like, it's not just lifting. Like it, it's expression of a lot of things that we're all, that we all go through and you know some of our, our own demons and, um, it's just like, and like, I think that that's why like most of my friends are like, they do, they do powerlifting or they do do bodybuilding or whatever. It's because like, I mean, every single elite athlete I've talked to, you know, I've talked to like Sam Calhoun and like, you know, several others. It's just like, we're all kind of weird. <laughs> like we're all kind of have a weird idiosyncrasies. Like we have to have our routine. Like if somebody messes with my routine, I am like, nah, nah, not, not up in here um it messes with, with with me a lot like i have to do certain things i'm very weird about this but like we all come together and all like manifest into greatness and training and bodybuilding or powerlifting whatever you are you are doing and i think that the biggest lessons from powerlifting or whatever is like that just that just discipline that fall through it goes to every area of your life like scott stevenson has said that like the you know or no, no, not scott stevenson stan efforting has said that if bodybuilders for powerlifters apply the same amount of effort they did to their, to their training and their diet, they would be billionaires. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard him say that. And that's, that's interesting where it's, uh, we often put so much time and effort into lifting that I do think it's easy to neglect other aspects of our lives, which I've tried to get better at as I've gotten older. I've tried to lean into that idea of balance. But when I was younger, there was no balance. That was just, it was all in all in on this one thing everything i did everything i thought about was you know getting stronger and uh now that's that's less of a thing you get older you have more responsibilities life gets real and that starts to shift a little bit where it's still a part of you but it's not everything so there's there's that balance that's the key for, for sure um so i guess i wanted to i want to ask you um your nutrition um, you know, clearly you are a big foodie foodie, um, which is, you know, I, I always said, I don't like foods. Like I was like, oh, it's like, I like, like I have to eat a lot to like gain weight. Like how many, like how high were like your calories to, to be that jacked? Like you were pretty jacked and, and lean too, at 242. Yeah. I, I never, uh, I've never really counted macros or calories or anything like that, or kept a strict diet. There was there was only a twelve week period where I did where I was with a coach Justin Harris for nutrition. That was you doing all the carb cycling. <laughs> yeah, nine hundred carbs a day on the high days was brutal. Stuffed all day, eating every two hours, but it was it was legit. It was hard. Um, but for most of my life, I've just kind of eaten whatever. Haven't paid much attention to protein intake or anything like that. I've never gone super high protein intake. I'll just eat like ground beef, like a pound of that a day. And then beyond that, it's like it was like a free for all. It was whatever I felt like. So it could be a, a tub of ice cream, whatever, chips, pie, um, really anything. Because genetically, I just I stay lean. So I've never not been able to see my abs very clearly. So I just have been able to eat whatever I want. And I just don't, I, I've never tracked it like seriously. 
except for that 12 week period. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of lucky in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, like, like, like genetics, I mean, I mean, also like beyond, beyond gear, you know, you can get away way with that too. Like conditioning partitioning is so, so much better. Um, going off of that Pete. So like, what is like, you're like, if you could eat like one food, it had no calories and you could just eat as much of it. You're going to be as shred as you possibly can. Like what food would that be? Uh, that's a really hard question. With, <laughs> I'd probably go with uh blueberry pie. Sound like I my mean, grandpa. <laughs> but it's funny though, because even being off PEDs, I'm not quite as lean as I was on steroids, but I'm pretty lean still where, but you're a hundred percent like, right. Like on trend, you know, the, the, how lean I could stay or, you know, it, it was, it was a different level. Um, like my muscles, everything's a lot more like softer and it doesn't quite look the same as it did, but I'm still able to stay pretty lean eating even that kind of stuff, which is kind of fun for now, for now. So. Yeah. Well, you know, the good news is that you know, as long as you, you keep training, keeping that physical activity up, you know, you should have too much well, of, a down, of, a down, of a down regulation in metabolism is the old funny that it was like, oh, my metabolism is slowing down. It's like you sit down all day now and you didn't before. Like that's what it is. <laughs> um so you're a big fan. Of, so like, is your favorite restaurant still Cracker Barrel? Yeah, I'd say like best bang for your buck as far as prices, uh, the consistency of the food. There's so many of them in the South around here. Mm -hmm. So I really love Cracker Barrel just because it's easy. You know, it's it's going to be the same pretty much no matter where you go. You're going to get the same service kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've I've been there before. It's it's very good. Um. I always like you know, like, like 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 biscuits and gravy and stuff like that. Like like any of that like head like it, it, like I've been to like Louisiana too, and like they just deep fry like everything. Everything it's just like it's made with love. Everything is made with with love, and that whole style of cooking like nothing's better than that. Um, my, my grandma's from uh, South Carolina, so whenever she makes okay. uh, dinner, it's just like that's what it is. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. See, I replaced the. I was like, I can only have so many vices in life. So I had to give up steroids because I'm like, this is really destructive, but I don't want to give up eating what I want to eat. Like I still, I don't want to, I'm not somebody who eats perfectly clean. I'm like, I want to eat what I want to eat. So that's my vice is like, I like to eat things that are not so good for you sometimes. But that's to me, that's a lot less damaged than like anabolic steroids for, you know, into my thirties. That's crazy. So that's why mm -hmm. I just replaced it with food. Yeah. I mean, that, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I have a, uh... Like I have an obsession with with ice cream. Like my grandpa Peter has always said, "You're not Peter if you don't love ice cream." And as such, I have done my duty. And I've tried every single flavor of Ben and Jerry's. Um, that's awesome. like it, it's like it's like a tie between like peanut butter world and tonight though. Those are two pretty tonight good ones. Tonight though's legit. Yeah, like when I was when I was a uh, weight 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 cutting, which is a, this is a great segue. Um, I would have like like a pile of ice cream, like like <laughs> tonight though. And I'm like, oh man, I'm suffering really bad and whatever. But um. I know that you cut some, you had some pretty crazy weight cuts. What was your most crazy one and how did you do that? The craziest one was uh, trying to get as low as possible. It was, I was trying to get to 220. I didn't know if I was quite going to make it. So I, I was like 250 and I cut to 229 in a week. Um, I felt pretty wow. terrible though. But I, the last like four, four or five nights, I used, uh, the blood pressure medication slash slash diuretic um lisinopril with hydrochlorothiazide so that's hydrochlor lisinopril with hydrochlorothiazide 
I had as a prescription from many years ago for blood pressure. And it was just sitting in my cabinet and I, that it's a diuretic in there. So that it clears you out quick. Like it'll, mm-hmm. you'll lose a lot of water weight. So I would take that the last couple of nights, which it's much milder than Lasix. I never tried Lasix or anything like a lot of the top powerlifters do now. And that was like back then we didn't really know about IVs afterward either. So nowadays guys just take Lasix to, to do these extreme water cuts in the top, you know, top ranks of powerlifting. And then they do IVs immediately after weigh-in. But this was uh, no IVs, mild diuretic, and and sweating it out in the bathtub, and it was uh, it was pretty intense because I felt like trash, you know. You start feeling really bad, and weight cutting is almost more dangerous than anything because of the strain it puts on the heart because it jacks your your potassium levels way up in your bloodstream, while lowering your sodium. So when that sodium potassium ratio gets way out of whack, you're in much more danger of uh, your heart having an issue basically so that's what happens when you're doing an extreme weight cut where you're depleting your your electrolytes sodium levels in the blood go way down potassium goes way up that's not good for the heart and uh, you feel like trash and you cramp up and all that so it's kind of dangerous i wouldn't i'm not into weight cutting anymore i'm like i don't think it's a good idea unless it's a small amount like five pounds or so but it's too dangerous at high levels for sure. And like, you know, a lot of times people, and I fall into, into this trap too. It's like, well, if I cut weight, well, I'm going to be, have a higher dot score or whatever. It's like the best way to get stronger is to get stronger, not to cut weight. Well, look at, look at Rondell Hunt. He's freaking amazing. And he's oh my got, gosh, he's a freak. He's putting, he's put about 20, 25 pounds on and his lifts have gone up significantly. And I don't care how good someone's dots is. They're not going to beat him because the guy's gotten so much stronger. He's a freak. Um, so that's a good example for sure. Yeah. Um, like weight, weight cutting, like my, I, I, I cut like eight pounds, like pretty easy. Um, didn't feel too bad. I mean, it's never comfortable, but like the hardest part is like getting like, I, my, my, my metabolism just goes through things. Like I, I'm like you, you know, I can basically eat like what I feel like, and I'm not going to get fat, um, say pretty lean year round. Um, and like, yeah, that's really not great for like a reconstitution setting because my body is just like okay we need a lot of calories on meat day we need a lot of sodium like i need like 12 grams of sodium on meat day and like to like after i I cut weight to like feel good and to feel strong and it's just it's a lot more stress than people realize like it can affect how you recover going into your meat and your performance and you know we get to this weight to lift really heavy weights and you're going to care a lot more about hitting you know that lift that you wanted to instead of being five pounds lighter. Exactly. So I, yeah, I'm, I don't worry about it anymore. Cool. Well, um, I had one last question, um, in regards to, um, what was your favorite, um, steroid cycle? Favorite cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the thing was, it wasn't like back then there was a cycle. It was like a continuous uh, shuffling in and out of compounds. So there'd be periods where you drop down to just testosterone. And then obviously before meat, 12 weeks out or so, there you'd add in a bunch of stuff. Or, But really the best results I ever got were just off testosterone and trend. So trend was always the the best hands down for strength, trend blown acetate. And uh, really crazy gains on that. 
to the point where I didn't need to add in anything else. I didn't need to add in an oral steroid or anything like that because Trenbolone was so good by itself that when stacked with test, you were going to blow up. That's when I hit all my be my best numbers. That's all I needed. Uh, it was later on when I, like, I wasn't running Trent anymore because it would screw me up so bad mentally. I discovered Anavar, and I freaking loved Anavar. It was like almost as good of gains as Trent without all the side effects. So I still wonder, I'm like, if I had stacked like Test Trent and Anavar, how you know strong could I have been? But never got to answer that question. But uh, Anavar is my favorite, hands down, as far as how strong I would get and how good I would feel. But Trent gave the best results for sure. He just came with a lot of uh, aggression and uh, a lot of side effects mentally. So, and you know, I, I tried all sorts of different doses, but even as little as 200 milligrams a week of Trent was enough to just blow you up to a freak. Like the strength was stupid. It was, it was unreal. Uh, the feeling of invincibility. I still remember it. It was just a different level, man. Like it was awesome. It was it was like your worst nightmare, but your best friend too, because you feel like a in, in you feel invincible in the gym, but then outside of the gym you would be stressed out of your mind and feel terrible because you were so angry all the time and aggressive and um, just wreaked havoc in my personal life and such. So I I just had to stop that at some point, and that was it. That was the that was the stuff. Like that was the strongest. There's nothing like it. Yeah, I know that a lot of the C three smiles now with trend, like even though we employ like trend for like, you know, uh, hundred milligrams for like one, like month going into like shows, for example, and a lot of like more of it's like 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 DHT derivatives like Primo, Mastron, Anavar on top of like a test base. That's kind of like you know maybe like a you know a slight amount of like, you know, NPP, but um, it's always interesting to me seeing what what people what people need too. From an individual standpoint, is like really get strong. I think the cool thing about about like powerlifting and at least in like one sense is like you don't need to take that much usually. Like you know Ben Pollock's talked about about that, but you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I t I tried different times to take way more than was needed, but just to try it out, and the results were not much better, if any better, than how they would have been at lower doses, which is kind of the irony because there really is a point of diminishing returns with regards to dosages and I pushed the envelope to see if it would work and it just doesn't like there's like a set amount of each compound that you take that amount you're at your ceiling and if you take more it's not going to help anymore which is kind of funny that's really everything in life and it's funny because like we always want more I don't think these things are going great it's like like you know you're never going to build muscle fast as fast as you want you're going to get lean as fast as you want or get strong as fast as you want that's why you know, it's so important to just enjoy the the, the journey a good example would be like, okay, you're not going to get stronger on 30 grams of creatine a day than you would on 10. Like you're not. So you can take 30 grams of creatine, but you're going to get the same strength benefits you would from 10 grams. So I would look at creatine with the upper dosage uh, as far as the point of diminishing returns being 10 grams. I think I think 10 may be a little better than five if you're a heavier guy like myself. For sure. But... I think if I went to 20, if I went to 30, I don't think I'd be any stronger than I would be at 10. So it's the same thing. And that's just, that's a, that's something everyone can relate to an example because everyone's taking creatine, whether you're natural or you're not, everyone who's lifted at some point is taking creatine. And that's my example. It's like, you're not going to get way stronger with way more. 
yeah, that's that, that's a really great, great one. Uh, definitely a lot, a lot more relatable. It's definitely above 10, 10 grams. It's just you know negative GI distress um, and bloating. Yeah. So, so I don't, uh-uh. I don't have any GI issues on creatine, but it's something I just will cycle periodically and then I come off it. Same kind of thing. So I feel like I'll derive more benefits when I come off periodically. I personally think the main reason why people do that is like it's it's actually like a difference. It's not just like you're just chronically feeling like the the same. Um, I know Bob Matthews said that you know like, he started taking ten grams of creatine and just blew him up. Which hey, you know it can happen. Like you have some people have a genetic response that like he's one of those freaks. They're like yeah, like I, I believe it. And if you opt on like you know just 300, 300 tests, he probably blew up too. Yeah, he's he's a cool guy. I got to talk to him again. He's a uh... He's a character. He cracked me up. Yeah. He just, some guys just have it, you know. For sure. Yeah. And and that's why, like, you know, like and that's why, you know, he's he's gone, he's gone on, on social media and like you you always did a good job of showing your personality too. And um, you know, especially like, yeah, and that's like why I reach out to you and why a lot of people look look up to you and still do. So um Pete, thank you so much for joining your your time. I know you're a very busy man, you've had a very long day. Um, I'm not going to keep you in any longer. Uh, people have, you know, want, want to find you anywhere, or hire you for coaching. Uh, where should they look for you? Yeah, you can just uh, search me on on YouTube or Instagram, Pete uh, Rubish, R U B I S H. You'll find me. So awesome, man. Well, I'll make sure I include all the information in, in the show notes. Um, but thank you so much uh, for coming on, sure. and thank you to listeners for listening. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.